0: I want to get a picture of this moment right here when you realize the pastor is gone and you could have been at the lake. (laughs) Not that any of us would ever do something like that. My name is Brett Ferguson and uh, my family and I are members here. Mike is away on uh, what he does this time of year typically is a little study and refreshing retreat where he goes and... Um, spend some time alone with God, kind of off the grid and looking through God's Word and prayer meditation and what God might have to say for us in the next um, few coming months. So you can be praying for him while he's gone. Um, in, uh, in December of, of 2006, my wife and I, um, we've been trying to um, get pregnant for the first time for a few months, and um, we weren't having much luck at that, and so... You have to be careful talking about this. I'm stumbling, right? So we were trying to get pregnant with King. We are we struggling a little bit. And we decided that um, it would be a good idea for us to get a dog because, you know, two people <laughs> who work full time and live in a condo in the city in Denver and trying to have a, a baby, like the most logical thing in the world is for them to get a dog, right? So I'm a little particular. I mean, it couldn't have been a cat because I'm not a cat guy. Sorry, cat people. Um, And I'm a dog person, but not just any dog. Like I got like a 50 pound limit. It's gotta be bigger than that because I need a a manly dog, right? And so we, um, one December night, brought home a German short hair pointer, which we named Jaeger. I forgot to mention this in the first service. I kid you not. We had the dog home for 45 minutes. Rachel took a pregnancy test and she was pregnant. That is a true, true story. No lie. So now we have a puppy and a baby on the way, right? Um, so we got, we got a German Shorthair Pointer. Those of you who know me know that I love to hunt and fish and do the outdoor thing. And we lived in Colorado, and I loved pheasant hunting, so we got this German Shorthair Pointer. German Shorthairs were bred in the 19th century in Germany. They were hunting dogs. Everything about this dog is made to hunt, okay? They have from their feet to their head. They have web paws, so they can kind of swim through water a little bit. They have a pretty thick coat so they can go through thorns and thickets and brush and like nothing stops them. They have long legs, tons of energy. They, they can turn quick. They can run quick. They, they're just, they're made to be out in the field running around. They have a long muzzle so that they can grab a bird of any size and retrieve it back to you so it fits in their mouth. They're built to hunt. And it's not just physically that they're made to hunt. Inside their nature, they're made to hunt. This picture down the left is a two six-week-old puppies, and I have a similar picture of Jaeger. Um, because what a pointer does when a pointer hunts, the way they hunt is they scurry around, they run out in front of you, they run back and forth, their nose is to the ground, they're looking for a bird or whatever game they're hunting. And then when they get close enough, if anybody's ever seen a pointer, they just lock up and they freeze, kind of in this position right here, right? With their tail up and their foot up and their nose pointed right at whatever bird they smell and they just lock up and they stay there. And the crazy thing about a German short hair pointer is you cannot teach them to do that. When they are six weeks old, have a picture of Jaeger, the breeders hanging a bird over them like on a fishing pole. There's a bird hanging there and there's six of Jaeger's brothers and sisters and they're all just like this, little baby puppies. Because they're just made to do it. It's in their nature. You don't teach them to do that. It's just how they were bred to be. And so you see uh, in the upper left-hand side there a picture of Jaeger, and that's his brother. Um, In front of him, Jaeger's in the back, and we had gotten out of the truck, and there was a bird right there, and boom, both of them together pointed. Can't teach that. It's just awesome to watch. So then uh, I, I took Jaeger to Nebraska over on the right there. And the other things about these dogs, not only are they bred to point, but they're just bred to love to hunt. Like, Yeager loved to hunt. He loved to be in the field chasing birds. That's what he was made to do. It it was in his nature. Like some large box retail outlet should use that as like a branding. I know who the Cabela's guys are here, right? It's It's in my nature. It's in his nature to hunt. And so we took him to Nebraska. It was kind of warm that year. It was in October, but it was almost 80 degrees. And we hunted for three days so hard just Get out of the truck, walk through those thick, uncut fields on the corners of the fields where they don't um, plow, the, where they don't plant the wheat, and it just grows up in its thick, nasty stuff. And for three days, Jaeger, 100 miles an hour, 40 yards out in front, side to side, moving, moving, running, 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 come back flush a bird, shoot it. He'd retrieve it, wash, rinse, and repeat for three days. And literally at the end of three days, because the dog loves to hunt so much, because it's in his nature to hunt so much, that's just how he was made. I had to pick him up and put him in my truck and take him home, or he literally would have hunted until he died of heat exhaustion because that's what he was made to do. It's in his nature. Now, Jaeger's nature came in really handy out in a field hunting birds. But, um, that's like 10% of his life, maybe. The rest of the time, he was in a condo with me and Rachel. And, and this idea of like being driven, like the that's a code word for they're really freaking stubborn. And so this dog, I, you could not turn your back on this dog for 30 seconds. And he would get food off the counter all the time. Like we had to put, like we have friends over for pizza to put it on top of the refrigerator. Or else if you turn your back, Jaeger's like on it. And he would be laying there in front of the door, the sun coming in his face. You think he's asleep. You run upstairs real quick. You come back, boom, counter, food, gone. And like, we could never get him to stop getting food off the counter because his nature that made him driven to hunt made him really, really stubborn. He, he had tons of energy because he was made to run all day through heavy cover out in front of you. And he just chomp, brom everywhere he goes. Right. Awesome. So in the field, you're like, oh man, look at that dog cover. Look at that dog work that cover. Right. That's kind of like a manly thing you say about the dog. And then you get home and he's on the leash and he's dragging your pregnant wife down the snowy street and you're like, okay, the energy is a problem now, right? And, and he, he was made to point and then you would shoot the bird and then he'd go chase it and bring it back to you, which is useful in the field, right? It's not so useful when you're running along the trail and there's cats. Small dogs, um, squirrels, right? You're just constantly, I used to take him up to the field by our house at the high school track, and I, I would go do my workout, and he would run with me. But this, in Denver, there's a lot of geese in the fall, and so he would just get down on all fours. He'd be like hunting the geese in the middle of the field, and, like people are driving by, and it's like a, a goose hunt going on. And so um, we had this problem with Jaeger's nature because while it was great for hunting, it wasn't so good for like the rest of life. And so we needed to get him um, trained a little bit. We couldn't train him to hunt, but we, what we needed to do is we needed to train his nature to be reformed and refined a little bit. So we took him from his luxurious life in our condo where he was coddled and like pretty much our only kid for about nine months. And we sent him to what Rachel and I started to refer to as doggy labor camp. We sent him to this breeder out in eastern Colorado. He lived in this pen. And there was like 15 other German shorthairs. And this breeder's job was to refine and train and tweak Jaeger's nature. And he just worked that dog over for two months. He'd get the dogs up in the morning. He'd tie him to his four-wheeler. He wouldn't turn the four-wheeler on. He would just let the dogs run. And pull them along for like an hour so they'd get their exercise every day. And then he would use all these different training devices, some of which inflicted a little pain, right? Like a shot collar. When you're out in the field with these dogs, you would use a shot collar because there's dangerous stuff in the field too. It's not just full of pheasants and prairie chickens, right? It's like there's snakes, there's badgers, there's um, coyotes. And so you want Jaeger to sometimes fight against his nature and he had to be trained to do things like stay, to do things like heal, right, to come to you. Because that's not, his nature is to be in front of you. He doesn't want to be beside you. His nature is to go chase, not to stay. And so the, the guy who we took him to, the doggy labor camp uh, leader, whatever the guy, whatever you call it, the trainer, was like, oh yeah, he'll work on that. I'm like, hey, can you do something about him getting the food off the counter too? He goes, oh, he'll, when, I, when you get him done for me, he's going to listen to everything you say. I promise you, we had Jaeger for six years. Never did we have pizza at our house without him getting a slice after that. And you know, um, all of us, we have a nature just like that dog has a nature. Some of you have little dogs and like their nature is to yip, 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 right? You have a uh, golden retriever, its nature is just to be like your best friend. Like every dog has a nature. All of us have a nature as well. And just like um, we needed Jaeger's nature to be reformed and refined a little bit, and so we sent him off to, to doggy labor camp, a lot of us try to, um, when we become a little bit more self-aware, change and sand off the rough edges of our nature and tweak our nature to make it more of what we think it should be. And actually, Barnes & Noble um, and and Rogers, they have 28 linear feet of shelving um, that we might call the self-help section. I think they call it your best life section, right? And so these are all books that are in the, um, we'll call them the doggy labor camp mentality of like, you can read these books and go to work on your nature and change and refine and hone in your nature. And some of them are kind of funny, like women who worry too much. I'm like, well, isn't that like... Every woman I've ever known who worries. And most all these books have lots of companions. I didn't find the men who worry too much. Like it would sell like one copy because... We're too dumb to worry, apparently. And so there's no men who worry too much book. And then this guy, this uh, Wayne Dwyer, who's on PBS all the time, and I've turned him on before and just gotten, like, sucked in, mesmerized by stuff he says. It's like, uh, Wisdom of the Ages, 60 Days to Enlightenment. And I'm like, you know, enlightenment seems like such this big thing. Like, I would think it would take more than 60 days, like a whole lifetime, but you can just go, and there you go. And the the the... The cornerstone of modern self-help kind of material is Dr. Phil. And his book, Self Matters, is about creating, you know, the life that you want for yourself. And really, almost everything in this book, now look, I'm not saying that these books might not be, are not helpful. I'm not saying they don't contain nuggets of truth or kernels of wisdom that you can apply to your life, right? That's not the case. Some of them are very useful. But they all approach the problem of human nature from really the, the place that, um, Dr. Phil approaches it, and that is from this idea that inside your nature is kind of more like Jaeger's nature, that you have these building blocks that are really good. And what you need to do is level off and sand and polish and refine those building blocks to build your nature up to be what it wants. But the foundation is good. Like this is all kind of like inside of you. If you do this, you can refine your nature, tweak it, build it up and make it what you want it to be. And this kind of thinking has even seeped into the pop Christian self help genre. Um, who's kind of led by Joel Osteen right now, and that is this become a better you, as if that's what the world needs more of, is more of us becoming better of us. And I just want you to know, and we're just going to start with this today, that the idea behind your nature that's biblical isn't that your nature is a pretty good foundation and a pretty good building block, and you just need to sand off the edges. And by the way, maybe Jesus can help you do that along the way, and, and then you'll have a nature that's what you want it to be. I want you to know that's not at all what the Bible teaches. We're going to learn something completely different than that today. What we're actually going to learn today about your nature and my nature is this, that our nature is broken beyond repair. And we don't need it to be tweaked. We don't need JC to come in and just help us be a little bit better version of ourselves. What we actually need is a completely new source of living our life. And in the Bible, that's called the Holy Spirit. And that is how our nature changes, not just by doing our own thing, sanding off the rough edges, going to some human version of doggy labor camp to get our nature better. And everything we're going to learn today is going to be summarized by this one verse. We're going to memorize it today, and it's Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Now listen, normally I'm sitting out there, and let me just tell you, when Mike has us read these verses together, we're really pathetic at it, okay? We don't do a very good job of this. So I'm not a paid professional, so that means you need to help me out a little bit more than you normally do. And let's read this verse together, okay? You ready? Here we go. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. That is the one idea that we're going to rally around today. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Romans 8, open up your Bibles, turn on your devices, whatever you're using to follow God's word. We're going to read uh, about 10 verses together here, and then we're going to just kind of tear them apart. We're kind of going to go in the deep end of the pool today, okay? So you with me? That's combo. Thanks for the reassurance. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is? All right, don't be so shy. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, nor does it even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh. let me just stop, pause for a second. This however is big because this whole chapter is contrasting two ways of living. The mindset on the flesh or the mindset on the spirit. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And I love this last verse. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What we're going to do today is contrast a mindset on the flesh versus a mindset on the spirit. So let's talk about this. First of all, you just need to understand this about you and about me. Your default nature, the way you came into this world was with your mindset on the flesh. Your default nature, the way you were born, the way every single person outside of Jesus Christ was born in this world was with their mind set on the flesh. See if you can finish this sentence for me. How many times have you heard this? I believe that people are basically good. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's not what the news teaches us. That's not what the newspaper says this morning. Every single day in a thousand ways, we see evidence all around us that human, human beings are not basically good. Now, human beings might do good things, might try to do good things. Human beings might have noble ideas, noble principles. But the core, the foundation, the very first line of demarcation between the Christian faith and every other worldview is this, is that on our own, we are not basically good. On our own, our mind is set on the flesh. This is what Paul says if you turn back one page in your Bible to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, through one man, sin entered the world. Who was the one man that sin entered the world through? Adam. That's right, Adam. Sin into the world and death came through sin so that death spread to all men because all have sinned. What Paul's saying is, look, I have physical characteristics that are just like my dad's. Unfortunately my dad was 5 foot 10. I'm 5 foot 10. Unfortunately my dad had a weird looking nose. I have a weird looking nose, right? That's just life, right? You look like your parents did. In the same way, my spiritual, natural, spiritual father was this guy named Adam and he sinned. And so I have his spiritual DNA inside of me. And that's why the Bible teaches us things like Romans chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The very author of this book and of most of our New Testament is a guy named Paul. And he says a few pages over to your right in Romans chapter seven, that in my flesh dwells nothing good. This is a line of demarcation between the Christian faith and everything else is that we believe that on our own, apart from Christ, our nature is fundamentally broken. Now look, as good... southern church going people all of us probably have this idea of like what a mindset on the flesh looks like, so I want us to we 're going to take a minute we 're going to define a mindset on the flesh, but we 're going to blow up our preconceived notion because most of us in this room we think about the big, hairy, ugly sins that always get talked about, and we know if you 're doing those or if that 's part of your life then you 're mindset on the flesh so it 's probably not news to you if you 've been around this idea of Christianity and our faith very often that look, if you're looking at watching, thinking about pornography in your life, that that's having your mind set on the flesh. And I know as I say that, that there are men and women in this room, that that's a reality of your life. You probably know that, look, if you're a greedy jerk who just pushes people over because you value money over everything else, that that's having your mind set on the flesh. We, we, you probably know that if you tell lies to make yourself look better, to cover up mistakes, that that's your mind being set on the flesh. You probably know that if you're lazy or gluttonous or selfish or if you're a gossip, like we know this long list of ugly stuff that happens to all of our lives and we think that's your mind set on the flesh. But can I tell you something that what we're going to learn in the next few minutes is, your flesh is actually more sneaky than that. So we're going to go beyond that. And let's start with a simple definition. A simple definition of a mindset on the flesh is this. A mindset on the flesh is a self-managed life. A mindset on the flesh is a self-managed life. Anytime I am on my own, with my own strength, by the sheer force of my personality or self-discipline or internal qualities. Anytime when I'm trying on my own to be better or do good or be more religious or be more moral, anytime I'm trying to change myself, alter myself, be a certain type of person without God's spirit living inside of me or without depending on God's spirit, I'm living with my mind set on the flesh. I'm living a self-managed life. I want to open up this definition. We're going to go a little bit deeper. This is from a group um, that does a lot of seminars and writes a lot of books, and it's called um, the Exchange Life Seminar and uh, Exchange Life Ministries. And here's how they defined a mindset on the flesh. The flesh, that is the self-life, the self-managed life, the flesh, is the condition, the mindset, the attitude, a strategy of living where my focus is primarily on myself. Even if it is the good-looking self, the well-adjusted self, or the socially accepted self, where I am living out of my own resources, such as my heritage, my IQ, my personality, my sense of humor, my looks, my talents, my abilities, in order to cope with life, solve my problems, meet my needs, or become a success. Let me recap that. The flesh, the self-life, is where I'm living out of my own resources, In order to cope with life, solve my problems, meet my needs, or become a success. Do you see how that goes far beyond just these normal, big, ugly sin ideas of living in the flesh? And it goes to how you and I manage our day-to-day, moment-to-moment lives. Let's see what that kind of life leads to. Romans chapter 8. Let's read our verse together. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death. The first truth about a self-managed life, the first truth about a mindset on the flesh is this, it is death. What tense is the verb is in that verse? Don't be shy, you're right, present. It's the present tense. What we're not talking about here is that if you live in the flesh, you will die at some point. We'll get to that in a minute. It's saying in the moment, in that moment, when your mind is set on the flesh, that is Death. Living in the flesh is always death. It's death of joy in our hearts. It's death of relationships. Let me tell you something. Every interpersonal conflict you have ever had in your life is because somebody is living with their mindset on the flesh. Death of marriages. Can I tell you something else? There has never been a divorce in the history of the world where someone wasn't living in the flesh. It kills things. It kills relationships with children. It kills our our witness to our neighbors and to the people around us. A mindset on the flesh kills our our own spiritual power and ability to discern. It it kills our witness and our our opportunity to really advance God's kingdom in the world. It kills our ability to genuinely love other people. It kills our effectiveness. It kills reputations. It kills our self-esteem. A mindset on the flesh is death. Um, my dad, today would have been my dad's 59th birthday. He was killed in a car wreck um, 13 years ago. And he was a pastor of a, a church in Denver. And he had, um, he, had te- he had taught on this passage. And I was reading some of his sermons um, as I was preparing over the last couple of weeks. And then, so if it's all right I think I'm going to quote my own, my own dad here. Um, but I thought this was a really good point about what a mindset on the flesh and what it means when it says death. My dad said this. Do you understand the magnitude of what we're talking about? Every word we speak out of the flesh, every thought we entertain in the flesh, every emotion we allow to flourish in the flesh, every deed we do in the flesh, everything that is done in the flesh ultimately leads to death somewhere in some way. Whenever you act in the flesh, something somewhere dies. Because a mindset on the flesh is death. Secondly, a mindset on the flesh is death, but also a mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. Look back at Romans chapter 8, verse 7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, you know who's really hostile? 18-month-old little girls, okay? I have one of these in my house right now. And uh, it's our third girl, right? So we've been, we've been experiencing the hostility, right, for nine years now, eight years now. And, um, you know, it, every day in a thousand ways we fight a war for control with this little 18-month-old little girl. Of course, we're the parents, so we have to like abide by the Geneva Convention. And she's like a little terrorist, right? That just doesn't have any rules, isn't encumbered by anything, just does what she wants to do. And I'll I'll give you an example. This girl loves water. It's like her favorite thing in the world. And so when we're at home, we're brushing our teeth and the the deal behind us is the bathtub. She's over there turning on our bathtub, playing in the water with her little toothbrush. She won't turn the—she just turned the bathtub. Like, we'll find just during the day, hey, the bathtub's on. Maisie's playing in the water again. Like, she just goes in there and turns on the bathtub, right? She won't get out of the bath. She loves the water. Until we go to the neighborhood pool, which is a huge space filled with water that she refuses to go into, Right? Not only does she refuse to go into the pool, she thinks we are there so that she can run as fast as she can around the edge of the pool, as close as possible to the edge of the pool, right? Just, that's what she thinks we're doing. And so then you go and you pick up Maisie, and like, Maisie, we're not here to run around the edge of the pool. Why don't you come over here and play? Kicking, flailing, screaming, I want to run, right? And then all the neighbors are watching, you're like, oh, how are you going to deal with this in public, right? And you're like, she set me up for this. The other day, I was trying to put her, we have this black car, and I'm trying to put her in the car seat in the parking lot of Walmart. It's 10,000 degrees. And Maisie decides she doesn't want to go in the car seat. So I am sweating. She's fighting me, arching her back. Like, do you know how strong an 18-month-old little girl can be? You can, a grown man cannot get them in the car seat if they don't want to go. So we're kind of dealing out with my own personal issues right now. But the, uh, the point is this. That's the perfect example of us when we're living in the flesh, being hostile towards God. Fighting, screaming, scratching, kicking, clawing. Even sometimes, and this is the dangerous part for a lot of us, when we think we're trying to do what God wants us to do, but we just want to do it on our own, my way, that's a mindset on the flesh. And the Bible says that it's actually, not only is it death, but it's hostile towards God. Next, Mindset of flesh is death. Mindset of flesh is hostile towards God. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. A mindset on the flesh cannot please God. A mindset on the flesh cannot please God. There was a group of people in the Old Testament that were God's people. They were the Israelites. They were the Jewish people. And they had this huge long list of religious things that they were always doing. And they would kind of have this continual cycle. We've talked about this a lot here over the last few months at at Grace Point where they would do it with their heart and with their soul and the way God wanted them to do it. And then sometimes they would do it and just go through the motions. And here's what God said in in Isaiah chapter 64, verse six. God said, hey, you know what? Even your righteousness, the stuff that you do that's good on your own, when you think you're trying to do things that please me, but you're doing it on your own. God said, that's like filthy rags, dirty Filthy racks. And so without the Holy Spirit in our life, even doing good is nothing but hostility towards God, and it cannot please God. All right, I'm going to throw you a curveball. One more that's not in your notes. A mindset on your flesh also leads to death. We talked about a mindset on the flesh being death. A minute ago, we talked about present tense. Now we are talking future tense. And Paul writes it this way at the end of the, the passage that we read verse 13, Romans 8, verse 13, for you, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. I mean, look, this is just kind of straight up in your face stuff that we don't necessarily do a lot at Grace Point, but it's in the text. And so we're just going to deal with it today. And here's what Paul's saying is this, pretty simple. If the predominant way you live your life if the defining characteristics, not, not every now and then or some struggles or battles, but if the defining characteristic is this, that your life is in the flesh and you live with a self- Governed, self-managed lifestyle and you don't follow God's spirit then what that means is God's spirit actually is not inside of you and the, the teaching of the Bible is simply this that that anybody who wants to have God's spirit within them can have God's spirit that's called being born again and that leads to eternal life but not being born again and not having His spirit leads to living in the flesh daily every minute of every day because we don't have any other resource to live outside of if we don't have his spirit so we just live in the flesh and that means we're separated from god and the consequence for that is not just that our physical bodies die but that in eternity we're separated from god a mindset on the flesh leads to leads to death and thankfully at this point i want to say number one that while that message about our flesh is hard i think we'll actually find that it's the most freeing message you could ever hear and I think we're also going to find that this other alternative is the best message you could ever hear. So let's look at the other message together. What's the alternative? The alternative to a mindset on the flesh, to a self-managed life is a mindset on the spirit, and that is the other option. If you look at the beginning of the passage in Romans chapter eight, verse five, Paul immediately puts everybody on the world in the world into one of two categories. Verse five, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, their mind is set on the spirit. There's no third option. There's no other choice. And so you need to know that today you are living in one of these two modes of life. You're either living with your mindset on the flesh or your mindset on the spirit. What does it mean? What is a a spirit focused, a, a, a spiritually minded life? Remember this? A mindset on the flesh, the definition of that was what? What kind of rule? What kind of managed life? A Self-managed life. So what do you think a mindset on the spirit is? A spirit-managed life. The mindset on the spirit is a spirit-managed life. And here's what I've been reminded of or learned this week as I've studied, is that inside of me and of you, if we are followers of Christ, is his spirit And that spirit, every moment of every day, wants to and is trying to bring to bear the full power of God on every area of my life. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. It's spirit-managed life. Let's define it more clearly. Let's go a little bit deeper. Mindset on the the spirit is a spirit-managed life. Here's a more robust definition. A mindset on the spirit describes a system of living where I yield control of my life to the Holy Spirit and where my focus is primarily on Christ and I look to Him exclusively, not myself, I look to Him exclusively for love, security, strength, significance, and joy. That's the mindset on the Spirit. I yield to the Spirit. I yield control of my life to the Spirit daily, even in the little things, even in the small things, I yield control and I'm looking to Christ for love, security, strength, significance, and joy. And when your mindset is on the flesh, you begin cramming all kinds of other things in your life to look for these things instead of looking to Christ exclusively for that. All right, let's go back to our verse Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Do you have it memorized yet? Let's say it together. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit, life. And that's the first note you can fill in. A characteristic of a mindset on the spirit is this a mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does everywhere he goes? Is he brings life to things. What we're going to see in a few minutes is that it was actually the Holy Spirit that was in the grave on Easter Sunday breathing life back into the body of Jesus Christ and raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus himself in the Gospel of John chapter 6 said this, it's the spirit who gives life. The pr- the flesh profits nothing. Hey look. Do you want to give life to your own life? Do you want to have life? I mean I don't mean like blood running through your veins air in your lungs. Do you want to have spiritual life? It's the Holy Spirit that brings spiritual life. Do you want to bring life and peace to your marriage? Do you want to bring life and peace to your kids and to your relationship with your children or to your neighborhood or to your job or to this church body? If you want to bring life and peace to the places that you go, your flesh will never do that because the mindset in the flesh is death. It's the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit that brings life. Second thing about a mindset on the Spirit. A mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. The second thing we're going to learn is that a mindset on the Spirit is empowering. A mindset on the Spirit is empowering. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Just follow this verse, right? The language is a little clunky for us, but just follow what he's saying. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Do you see what that sentence is saying? If the Spirit... Who literally raised Christ's body from the dead dwells inside of you. He's going to say it again. He who literally raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What he's saying is this inside of the believer of the Christ follower inside of you when you invite the Holy Spirit in is all the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is what you have within you when you leave this place and you go and you try to be a better husband, you try to be a better wife, you try to be a better dad, you try to be a better employee, try to influence the people around you. You don't have to do it on your own strength and what we have actually learned is that won't even work anyway, but that you have the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead inside of you. And then he says down at the bottom um, of the passage we read, verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That Spirit that's inside of you by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, by the empowering Holy Spirit, that is how We put to death the deeds of our flesh. We don't just fight them. We don't just sand off the rough edges of our nature. We actually put that nature to death. And then every day inside of you is the Holy Spirit. And when you lean on him, you can actually put to death the deeds of the flesh. You can't do it on your own. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. A mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. A mindset on the Spirit is empowering. Last thing I want to say is this. A mindset on the Spirit is following A mindset on the Spirit is following. I love the simplicity of this verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Here's a real simple test for your life today. Do you want to know if you have a mindset on the Spirit? Then answer this question. Are you following the Holy Spirit? Do you know that... While well, Jesus was a great leader, he was actually only a great leader because he was a perfect follower. Jesus didn't just lead and do things on his own initiative. What Jesus did was he followed the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit of God. He says this in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 4, where it talks about Jesus is going to go out to the desert to be tempted by Satan. And the Bible says this, that the Holy Spirit led Jesus out to the desert. In the book of John, over and over, Jesus says, I don't, I, didn't, I don't do things on my own initiative. I only do what I see my father doing, and then I go and do that. Jesus wasn't just a leader. He was a follower. And so the test for us on whether or not we are truly living in a mindset by the Spirit is this. Are we following the spirit so a mindset on the spirit is life and peace a mindset on the spirit is empowering and a mindset on the spirit is following so the question for us is are we following all right one last time let's read our verse together i won't make you do this anymore hopefully you have this verse memorized by now for the mind set on the flesh is death but a mind set on the spirit is life and peace now here's the real question how the heck do you do that Right. And here's what I can't do is give you a uh, self-help book on how to do this. Right. There's no checklist. There's no that's not how this works. Right. But I did have a couple of thoughts of application for you. And the first one is this. If you want to have a mindset on the spirit, you have to let the spirit dwell within you. In verse 12, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. and He says, if the spirit dwells within you. You know, you know dwell is a different word. It doesn't just mean to be with you or to be inside you, but it has this idea in the Greek language of like someone who's living inside of their own home. So it might say something like this if you were to read this in like Greek mind context it might say let the holy spirit be at home within you. Have you ever bought a new house or moved into like a new place? And you, you know what you do when you move into a new place? You spend like the first 6 months you move the couch 12 times because you can't figure out where it should go to make it feel just right. You paint the walls 13 different colors, right? And that's really what the the application point is for us is are you willing to let the Holy Spirit come into your life, repaint the walls, move the couches around, maybe like blow up some walls, tear down some walls and make himself at home. Or when he starts doing his little fixer upper project on you do you start to resist and fight and say no i want this left right where it is the second application point i have is this um sow what you want to reap you reap what you sow Sow what you want to reap and here's the analogy for this right um most of us probably try to eat healthy, and there's like ten bazillion diet plans out there. You're like, ooh, this is like whole thirty, and this is paleo, and this is you know whatever, it's slim fast. I, I don't know. And, and at the end of the day, you know, you don't need a diet plan to tell you that when you're buying the ho hos at the store, you're falling off the wagon, <laughs> right? Like, you know, you know. And I think this is true of our spiritual lives. We fill our hearts and our minds. With Twinkies and Ho Hos, and then we wonder, like, why am I not the spiritual person that I want to be? If you want to be like CrossFit spiritual guy, then you need to sow into your life things that are spiritual and focused on the spirit. And you know deep down inside of you what those are. You don't need somebody to tell you to eat broccoli instead of Oreos. And Paul puts it like this in the book of Galatians. He says this, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life eternal. My prayer for you all week has been this, and for me, is that we would leave here understanding, first of all, that it's only, the only path to life and peace is, peace is to have my mind set on the Spirit and to be willing to to sow to the Spirit in our life, to be willing to let the Spirit be a home in our life so that we can live with a mind that's not set on the flesh but is set on the Spirit of God. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. We always end with a, a time of response here. And I'm going to give you just a moment to reflect. And I just want you to answer this question in your mind. In your life, in your life, what's the predominant mode of living? Are you living mainly with your mindset on the flesh or with your mindset on the spirit? And if you want to, maybe now is just a time where you can pray and ask God and say, we're about to sing about what happens when God's spirit comes in and takes control. And maybe this next song can be a song of surrender for you where you can say, yeah, God, This is what I want. I want to live in a mindset on the Spirit, and so I'm giving you control. God, that's my prayer for us today, that we would leave here with a mindset on the Spirit, giving you access to our life. God, you empower us. You lead us. You give us life and peace And so I pray that that would be the predominant mindset and mode that we leave this room in today is a mindset on the spirit. Thank you for that promise of the gospel. In name I pray.